If you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, the second chapter, <clears throat> Ephesians, the second chapter, I've been thinking for a number of weeks and meditating and asking the Lord to, to lead me. And I think um, the Lord has led my thoughts to preach a foundational message or messages that relate to the foundations on which we are built as a church. And I, I, somebody asked me many, many years ago, if you could only have one book of the Bible, which one would it be? And I responded without hesitation, the book of Ephesians, because it is a perfect balance of doctrine and practice. First three chapters, all about what the church is founded upon, what, what Christ teaches and, and taught when he was here, and still we try to teach today. The second half of the book of Ephesians was practical. Husbands, wives, children, employers, employees, so forth and so on. So I love the book of Ephesians. My mind always goes there whenever I think about preaching a foundational message. So we want to come from a little bit different angle this morning and talk to you about the cornerstone. That's going to be the subject this morning, the cornerstone. And we're going to begin in Ephesians 2 and verse 19. Let's read and then let's understand what the church, the people of God, what they are founded upon. Like a building is founded upon a cornerstone. Let's read in verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built, listen to the language now, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we want to talk about what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, what you here at Bethlehem, what you are founded upon. And I hope this won't be some dry doctrinal message. I hope it will be uh, alive for you. It will be joyful and we can rejoice in the cornerstone. And I, I did a little bit of research on cornerstones and there's probably some here among us today that are more qualified to talk about uh, building and carpentry and all of that type of stuff. I'm certainly not, but I can read and I can retain things sometimes that I read. And so the reference to cornerstone goes back to ages past. There is a craft called stonecraft or stone masonry. And you may recognize some of these famous works that were founded upon cornerstones. The Egyptian pyramids, the Taj Mahal, the Incan Wall, Easter Island statues, Tenochtitlan in South America, the Parthenon, Stonehenge, and very notably the Great Wall of China. Those are structures that were based on stone craft where they carved out stones from rock and they set them and they built upon them. And they had to start, you may think in terms of like the Great Wall of China, there's a lot of cornerstones in that one because it's a long wall for sure. But more recently, maybe your mind has been uh, caught by what happened in Miami where the building fell and all those people were killed. It makes me never want to stay in a condo again. <laughs> or at least do a building inspection first and before I, I go and stay in a condo. But that, that structural failure, as far as I have read among what they've, they've said so far, it, it had something to do down deep inside, maybe even in the parking deck, I think, which was underneath. There was some substructure underneath that failed. And it could have come from some leakage and water seepage and things like that that affected the concrete until it just... It just completely impaired the integrity of, of the structure and it collapsed just out of the blue. And so down deep inside, this wasn't this failure of this Miami condo was not like the Twin Towers. You remember whenever 
9-11 occurred, and that kind of pancaked from the top. It got hit in the top, and it was just like a chain reaction and went down. The Miami condo had something to do with the substructure underneath that wasn't done correctly, and that showed through time and some other elements affecting it. So it's very important that the substructure or the cornerstone is laid correctly whenever you're making or laying the foundation for a building. You have to dig down to find the cornerstone. Would you agree with that? <laughs> now, I like to think of a cornerstone as that one stone that everything kind of goes out towards, but, but that's not exactly right. It's a cornerstone as it connects walls. You understand, <clears throat> in order to get the angles right, in order to make it look right, that cornerstone has got to be set just right so that everything else will line up. Those of you who may have built houses, some, I know we've got one or two here that have built houses themselves. And then there's others of you that have contracted houses to be built. I can remember when we contracted our house to be built, and we would go inspect it ourselves. You know, I see the progress every day. Is this straight? Is this right? Is this done right? Now, we had bricks, you know, but we also had the uh, foundational stones laid in there. I don't mean cut stones, but just like concrete blocks. And they laid the foundation with concrete. It's more concrete today than it is other ways. That's kind of what you got going on here with the, with the cornerstone. Is they cut the cornerstone out of rock, these stonemasons, and they get it shaped just right and leveled off with all types of tools, a sermon for another day, how they cut the stone because it ties in directly to how our stone, Jesus Christ, how he was afflicted and bruised and cut, so to speak. But they take careful preparation to make the cornerstone so that everything else in the house will be set just right. And I think, depending on the way that you cut it in the Word of God, you can see that there's seven or ten. Either one's somewhat of a perfect number. Ten's a number of God. Seven's the number of perfection. But you'll see at least seven times that Jesus is referred to in the Scripture as the cornerstone. The place that's most notable is Isaiah 28 and 16, where it says that he has, he, God has a cornerstone. And over and over in the Scripture, even Jesus, I'll show you in the Scripture this morning, where Jesus Himself refers to Himself as the cornerstone. So as we consider these cornerstones, I want you to see just how important it is to be founded upon the right thing so the angles will be right, so the building will be, will be right. So look with me to Isaiah 28. <clears throat> and as you're turning there to Isaiah 28 and verse 16... I want you to notice, I'll give you a little bit of background. The, the, the chapter starts off with him saying, Woe to the crown of pride, the drunkards of, drunkards of Ephraim. And all throughout the book of uh, the 28th chapter, you'll have the Lord condemning the drunkards of Ephraim. And he goes on and he says that in their drunkenness, they have made a covenant with death. <laughs> They have, they have built a structure. Can, can you imagine a drunk person building a structure? I mean, if you came and looked at some of the tree houses and some of the little houses and things that I have built for the kids, you would think I was drunk when I did it. <laughs> Brother Furman didn't come and do it. He didn't measure it off for me. <laughs> I wish I had. It looks like a drunk man did it. I mean, and sometimes when I build those tree houses, I like them to look a little honker jawed. That's a word. Look it up. <laughs> You know, but you don't want somebody that's drunk to build your house, right? You want somebody to be sober and to be an expert and know what they're doing. And basically the Lord is saying, you fellas are so off base with what you're teaching and preaching 
that you have made a covenant with death and you're like a drunk person trying to build a house. And the Lord says in verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. And this is the reference to Jesus Christ. And it's at least seven times, depending on how you group it. You could group it, you could individualize them and find there's ten times it occurs through the Gospels, through the New Testament, and in the Old Testament. But at least seven times he is referred to, related to this verse right here, the cornerstone, the foundation stone. Now, just to give you a little bit of history about the cornerstone, it has to do with the building orientation. If that's too big of a word, it just basically means how the building is set up. It's going to come back to the foundation stone. It's also known as a setting stone. The cornerstone, it all begins. Some, you have to, you know, you don't just go and snap your fingers like, what is it, Minecraft? Is that that little game where, you know, you can build a house, you can do all this stuff, you know, and you just go, boop, hit a button, and here it goes, starts building up your little house. It doesn't work like that in reality, guys. At least it doesn't yet. If it ever does, somebody's going to make a killing. But you have to set a single thing first. You have to clear it off and set something and make sure that your foundation is sure. Make sure it's sure. There's a house, an old house, between Carrollton and Highway 82. Sometimes whenever I have to go to Columbus, I'll take that road. It runs out through coal fire. And somewhere out there, there's a house on the left that I ride by. It always draws my attention because that house, it sits at an angle. <laughs> the, the stones that they set it upon, it's one of those old houses set up on stones, you know, about two feet off the ground like they used to do like our old house on the farm is. And that house is, is I mean, it's not just a little bit. You don't, have, you don't even have to look close. It's, it's just leaning like this. It always draws my attention. Now, I'm sure that house has been there a hundred something years. So I'm sure it probably, maybe not, it didn't do that for 75 years or more. Who knows? But it always draws your attention when you see a house like that. You want to make sure that the foundation is set upon a, a cornerstone that will not give and you see how that relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says, you've made a covenant with death. Your house is going to fall. You're building a house like a drunk man. He says, but I am laying in Zion for a foundation, a stone. He says, notice the description, verse 16, a tried stone. So you see, they would take the most solid and carefully constructed stone around in order to begin the construction on a house or some type of structure. Notice he says, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. The word precious means valuable or of reputation. It made me think about some of the diamonds or different jewels that are in the world. You know, the crown jewels that are guarded so heavily. Those are precious, valuable jewels. And Christ is our precious cornerstone of reputation and of great renown. He says, uh, that it is a sure foundation. Sure means to set or to found. And all throughout the Scripture, you'll find the reference to this right here, Isaiah 28, 16. He is the cornerstone. Watch this in verse 17. And, and you carpenters and you builders will, will catch this. And, and those of us that are ignorant of such things, hopefully we'll understand a little bit about it because I'm very ignorant about stuff like this. But it says, he says, judgment also will I lay to the line <laughs> and righteousness to the plummet. Now, if I know what a plummet is, Brother Furman could probably tell us a whole lot more about it. But it's one of those things where they, they let that thing just kind of 
fall down to the middle. It hangs off a string. It's got weight on it. And you get, you get, a, you get an accurate measurement with that plummet according to uh, where you're standing and according to gravity and so forth. Notice he says that righteousness is the plummet. Righteous, and, but the Word of God says there's none righteous. No, not one. That's because it's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, also judgment will I lay to the line. Now, you could also say a string right there. Judgment will I lay to the string. And that's a carpenter's tool. I'm picking on Brother Furman here today because he's probably going to tell me everything I don't know about carpentry once this sermon is over with. But I will tell you this experience. Y'all heard me talk about my deck that I built out back. It was, it was my project. I didn't ask anybody to help me with it until I got to the end and I almost went crazy and had to get Brother Furman to come in and finish it. But I got out there and I was so proud of myself and I, I worked it over section by section, you know, 12 feet by 12 feet. I worked it all the way over here and then I got over to the side. On the side that I, I'm, I'm telling all our faults, so you'll notice it the next time you come. But it's too bad I didn't start on the side that you could see that when you walk up because that would have been the pretty side, you know. But I started on the back side and worked to the pretty side. And when I got to the, the side that should be pretty, it was, it was off like three or four inches. And I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to fix So I had to just saw a piece of wood, you know, and, and it's almost like an optical illusion when you walk up. It looks like it's straight. But if you look close, man, that thing's crooked as, a, as it can be, like a snake. I was talking to Brother Furman about it the next day. He advised me through all that. Or the next week I was at church. I said, man, I just couldn't get that thing worked out. I was moaning and complaining. He looked at me and he said, well, did you have a string? <laughs> and I was like, a string? Oh, why didn't I think of a string? To run a string from one end to the other and make sure that it lined up. Just a string would have helped. A little bitty, something I could have pulled out of Sister Tracy's uh, stuff. A string would have helped me to keep it in line. Just a string. He says that judgment is the string. The, the right judgment of Christ, the proper judgment of Christ is the string. It's the line by which this house is going to be measured. See? It yields a precise angle. And I like this commentator. A commentator said this, the cornerstone here is, primary, is the primary foundation. It's the stone at the angle of the structure by which the architect fixes a standard for the bearings of the walls and cross walls throughout the building. And understand this, church, brothers and sisters. Our orientation, our, where we are as a church depends on whether or not we are relying upon that cornerstone. That's where we come from. So whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we preach, whatever we teach, however we act among ourselves needs to be measured by the plummet of righteousness and the line or the string of judgment. And it's not mine and it's not yours, but it is Christ. You see, not only was this a well-known term in history from the cornerstone Cornerstone settings also involve great celebrations. I didn't know this until I read some of the history about it. In history, whenever they would set the cornerstone for a building, whether it was a building like the Taj Mahal or, or something like the Great Wall of China or some great structure like the Parthenon, when they would set that in history, they would have a celebration, a ceremony. You might think about whenever they laid the foundation of the temple again in the book of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra. They had a celebration there around the foundation of setting the temple before they even built it up. They celebrated the founding of it. And it often involved sacrifice. This is something. Sometimes they would take wine or grain or water and pour it on that foundational stone. 
And they would stand before their gods. Many times it was false gods and say, you know, to whatever God they were praying to, bless the foundation, bless the building, bless the future of this structure. Sometimes, this is crazy, but sometimes in some cultures they would sacrifice people. They would sacrifice a human. And oftentimes, in some of those cultures, they would bury, bury a human alive next to the foundation. You might think about the pyramids where they buried people after they were dead, but before, in, in, other, in some cultures, they would bury people. One of those cultures, they would bury young maidens. Young girls, you wouldn't want to go to that celebration of that foundation or that cornerstone. Sometimes they would bury people. Sometimes they would sacrifice people. And they would take the blood and they'd pour it on the cornerstone. Are you seeing a little bit more about the significance of Jesus Christ being referred to as the cornerstone? It's more than just a rock. He is the living, breathing stone of God. You see? So, the ceremony often involves sacrifice. And today, this still goes on, by the way. Not people sacrifice, but today the celebration of the laying of a cornerstone or a foundation stone is more ceremonial, more ritualistic. And you may see somebody out in the front of a great big building and they'll have, like a, a, they'll have a stone that's hollowed out. And they'll say, this is the foundational stone. And we celebrate this here today. And a lot of times they'll put stuff inside that stone. Y'all have heard of time capsules, hadn't you? That happens a lot, especially in the last century. They'll put newspapers or they'll put documents, important documents or photographs or whatever inside the foundational stone that's been hollowed out. But that stone, make, make no mistake, those stones are not bearing any weight. Can I say to, to you here today that in a sad sense that a lot of what you have in modern religion, I'm not talking about spirituality, but in modern religion, it's a ritualistic, hollowed out type of thing that's going on that bears no weight and has no meaning or no structural support for the people of God. Just going through the motions. It's just a ritual. I pray to the good Lord that we would find ourselves when we examine ourselves. I'm not asking you to examine somebody else. I'm asking you to examine yourself. When we examine ourselves, that we would not find that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is just a ritualistic check the box kind of thing, kind of a checklist that we go through, that He really is bearing us up. And he, we really are founded upon that support. You see? The other day we were cleaning at Mom's house. And out there on the front of Mom's house, there's a sidewalk. <laughs> and I forget about things like this, but it's all, they're all over the farm. Anytime we would pour concrete when we were children, you know, Dad would say, come here, boys, you know, put your handprint in it. Write your name in it. Put your, the date. It was really hard to see that date. Mom was able to tell me what it was, but I put my rather larger hand where my little hand was, and I thought, man, that's been a long time. But that is somewhat of a time capsule, if you will, of when that foundation was laid, you see? So we have these things all over. We just may not recognize them for what they are. So I ask the question, who is your cornerstone? I'm talking to myself too. Who is my cornerstone? Is your cornerstone politics or Washington, D.C. or Dr. Fauci or Fox News or CNN News? I've said these things many times in many different ways. And I hope at some point maybe it will ring true. I hope it rings true to you now. But maybe it will come ring true to the people of God. That if you have all of that coming at you, that's going to substitute itself as some kind of foundation. Because it's just constantly bombarding you. 
And I've told you before, you know, I felt, I felt a little good for my, I felt like patting myself on the back this morning because my screen time popped up on my phone and it was way down. I was so proud of myself. I've just ruined all of the joy that I had in that by telling you about it. But I have this little thing, this app that pops up on my phone. It says, your screen time was up, you know, 20% last week. It rarely ever tells me when it's down. I want to hear when it's down. <laughs> and sometimes I look at that, maybe you do too, and you, I think, did I really spend that much time on a daily basis in, in, with that phone? Now, granted, I use it for texting church members and checking email and use it at work. And, and, and then I sometimes waste some time on it too. But that vexes me. <laughs> Is that phone, is that thing I'm using, is it, is it my foundation? Can I live without it? I've threatened to throw it away many times. Sister Tracy said I can't because then she couldn't call me. <laughs> so I'm going to blame that on Sister Tracy. I'm just kidding. I'm not blaming anything on Sister Tracy. My screen time is my own. Do you look at your screen time and see how much of that stuff is coming at you? And then do you look at your Bible FaceTime, your real FaceTime with the Lord and see... That's a way that you can tell what your foundation is laid on. And parents, I'm going to say this. I've said it many times. If we let that iPad or we let that iPhone or we let uh, that, even that video back in when I, our kids were smaller, it was, you know, Barney or the cartoons or whatever. If we, especially now with all the stuff they're putting on the cartoons, oh, they're preaching to our children. Make no mistake. They're preaching cultural revolution to our children. And if we just sit back and say, well, I know what they're watching. Yeah, but do you know what the pop-ups are? Do you know what's popping up there? I've had some pop-ups come up on me, and I'm like, where did that come from? I've never surfed the net for that in my life. I tell you, it came from Satan himself. Y'all mighty quiet today. Only things I say to you is because I love you and because I feel convicted myself. I want to be founded upon the cornerstone. And I'm not saying you can't have screen time and you can't have... I always say that. I always qualify that. There may come a time when I cannot qualify. You hear me? There may come a time whenever I have to say every single one of, of all the networks, all the apps, all the things that you can access on that, that little thing, they're all gone. There may come a time whenever I say to you, I can't recommend you voting for any candidate because they're all pro-murder for the, the murder of the unborn. You understand what I'm saying? But for now, I can still say in some limited circumstances, you know, I'm not saying you can't enjoy this or enjoy that. But there may come a time when we have to take even for more, more of a stand. I mean, the time now is to take a stand and look at all those areas. There, this is not the time to give way in the gap, as the Word of God says. Stand in the gap. Stand on the cornerstone. It's a glorious thing. It's not preacher fussing and saying, well, you're doing wrong. Get it right. It's about the glory of God. It's about standing on the cornerstone. Am I, am I just beating the air here this morning? I hope not. <laughs> I don't feel like I am. Sometimes I want to. Are we founded upon the cornerstone? Are we founded upon the phone? I just thought of that. It rhymes. It's great, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> Are we found it on the cornerstone or are we found it on the phone? Now, as I told you, depending on how you break it down, ten or seven times you have the occurrence of Isaiah 28, 16. The first one is Isaiah 28, 16, where it says, He, I want to catch this before we leave it. It says um, in verse 16, He that believeth shall not make haste. Now, that's an interesting way to put it that ought to have an impact on us. It literally means if you believe in the cornerstone and you're founded on the cornerstone, you're not ashamed of Him. 
You're not ashamed of the cornerstone. There's a song that we sing, ashamed of Jesus. God forbid that we would be ashamed of the Lord. In Matthew, the 21st chapter, where Jesus Himself quotes that, if you want to look there, it's worth looking at to see where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees because they're not believing on Him, because they're not uh, paying any attention to what He's doing. And in Matthew 21, towards the end of the chapter, in verse 42, Jesus says, Did you never read in the Scriptures? Whenever Jesus says, did you never read in the Scriptures, it's a good idea to go back and read in the Scripture what Jesus is talking about. And He's talking about Psalm 118, and He's talking about Isaiah 28. He says, did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's where Psalms 118 speaks of, this is the day the Lord has made. We like that psalm, don't we? We like to rise up in the mornings to that song, and there is an app, that psalm, there is an application to our daily lives. We can say, this is the day the Lord has made, but I'm going to tell you what that's referring to right there. It's referring to the day that Christ went to the cross, and the cornerstone was rejected by men and the cornerstone suffered the wrath of God. That day is the day the Lord made for sure. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Is it to you? You see, it's not marvelous in the eyes of the world. It's not amazing to the world what Jesus did, but it is marvelous to the child of God. Not just from the standpoint that God would come down from earth and do what He did, but mainly from the standpoint for me personally, and I hope for you, that He came down and did what He did and set Himself as the foundation stone and paid for your sins and my sins. That's what gets me. It's a great thing to think about the general sacrifice that God made for His children and for His people. But it's even a more, a more applicable thing to me personally whenever I think about Him doing that for me. It makes me never want to sin again. But I just can't, I can't seem to help myself sometimes. This is the cornerstone. He says it's marvelous in our eyes that they rejected Him. And watch the result now. Verse 43. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. That's you here today, child of God. You are that holy nation that it was taken from the Jewish nation. It was taken from Israel and given to a nation that no one knew. It was the holy nation of God of which you are citizens and strangers to this earth. And he says, and whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. I would much rather fall on the stone of Christ than for that stone to fall on me and grind me to powder. There's many families in our nation in the world today whose, whose families are ground to powder because the word, the stone falls upon them and they don't listen and they put it off and they don't repent and they don't do the things that God says to do in His Word based upon the foundational stone. And whenever tragedy comes, whenever trials come along, they are smashed under that stone, if you will. But how great is it just to fall upon that stone and say, Lord, help me. I need help. I'm, I'm pitiful. I need help. I need to surrender in a sense. And I'm not talking about becoming a child of God. You see, if you want to surrender and follow the Lord, it's because the Lord has already made you His child. He's touched your heart. Romans the ninth chapter. In verse 33, it says, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. He says you can stumble on this stone. Or you cannot be ashamed of this stone. As I already mentioned, Psalm 118, Jesus references that in Mark 12 again. He says, it's marvelous when you look upon 
what the Lord has done with a rejected stone. Can you see those builders standing around there? And they say, okay, let's start building this, this, this holy nation. Let's build this holy nation. And they, they take the stone, the Son of God, and they just toss it to the side. They toss it over in the ditch. Well, the Lord just goes ahead and establishes His house anyway. The rejected stone builds His house anyway. <laughs> and it's not in the, convention, the, the most conventional way. Wouldn't you rather to fall upon the stone of Christ than to have the stone fall upon you and crush you? Peter in Acts, the fourth chapter, in the eleventh verse, as he stood there after they had healed the, blind, uh, the, the lame man, the lame man that was laying in front of the temple, in Acts, the third chapter, they heal the lame man and they bring Peter before the council there and they say, What's going on? How were you able to do this? And I think deep down they already knew the answer. And Peter quotes this verse. He says, This is the stone that was set at naught of you builders. You see? And he says, There is no salvation in any other name other than the name of Jesus Christ. The reason you're going to be in heaven one day is not because of a work you have done or an acceptance that you have made or a prayer that you have prayed or a baptism that you have had. It is because the stone of God, the cornerstone of Christ, has touched you and saved you. All glory is going to be to Him. You see, He will not share His glory with another because He's too good. He's too holy. I mean, I don't want to, if I do something good, I don't want to share my glory with anybody else. I want it all to come back to me. And I'm so, I can be a narcissist. I can be someone that's self-focused. God is not a narcissist. God is not self-focused. God is focused upon the glory of His own name and also upon glorifying His children. The only way His children can glorify Him is by giving Him all praise, all glory, and all credit for their salvation. That's what Peter says. He says, there's no other name under heaven by which we are saved other than the name of Christ, the cornerstone. Same Peter, 1 Peter 2 and 5. 1 Peter 2 and 5. This is where it's also quoted from this verse. He says this in 1 Peter 2 and 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Sound familiar? And holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also... It is contained in the Scripture. This is where he, we've already talked to you about this morning. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Watch the language. Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. To be confounded means to blush, as I've already mentioned, ashamed. Let me tell you, child of grace, there is no scenario to, in this day and time, there, and there never has been a scenario, there is no scenario where the child of God can deny the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the time for us to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're in the workplace, whether you're in the home, whether it's what you watch on TV, whether it's the type of news that you take, there is no scenario where we do not stand. When I was studying this, I was thinking of the sad but glorious case of Cassie Bernal. I hope I'm saying her name right. She was the young woman who, when the murderers in Columbine went into the classroom years and years ago, asked if anybody was a Christian or a Christ follower, little Cassie immediately responded and said yes, and they cut her down and killed her. <laughs> there was a, book, a very good book written called She Said Yes about that. You know, that you say, oh, it's tragic and that's sad. It's also glorious. It's also glorious that a person who was in high school would stand for the Lord under any circumstance that comes along. I tell you, church, I tell you, brothers and sisters, you're going to be faced. I'm not talking about that exact scenario, but you might be faced with that. 
But that day and time is here and now to stand in the gap, to not shirk back in any circumstance. You say, well, somebody's over here talking about you know, being pro-life or being pro-murder of the unborn. Let me tell you, that's not a situation to shirk back from in a loving, not an argumentative, but in a loving and kind way to explain. This is not about politics. This is not about uh, some political position. It is about God's glory, about life or death. And in whatever scenario comes along, there is no scenario where we don't stand for the Lord. It might be a situation like Cassie Bernal who goes down in history as a very unlikely martyr. It might be a deacon Stephen who stands before the council of the Sanhedrin and in a loving, inspired of the Spirit way preaches one of the greatest sermons you've ever read in the Word of God. And you, we would, I trust and pray that if we were in church and Stephen was preaching that sermon, we'd be jumping up and down and, and pumping our fists. Yes, yes, go Stephen. Amen, amen. Truth, truth. And these people picked up stones to kill him. But he did not shirk back. He did not deny Christ. There is no scenario for the child of God to be ashamed of Jesus. You see? He says, Wherefore it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be ashamed, shall not be confounded. You see, there's no scenario, especially this day. I think that time has has even been far past. I'm not just saying that right now, today. It should have already been stated, you see. There's no scenario, especially now, for the child of God to shirk back from confessing the Lord Jesus Christ in all of its many facets, in all of its different ways, whether it's raising your hand and say, I'm a Christ follower like Cassie Bernal, or whether it's just ones that you love and care about and you remain silent on those issues. It's not the time to remain silent. It is the time to convert people. Do you hear me? It is the time to speak truth because he who controls the power and he who controls the media controls the narrative. And blinds the mind of God's children. I'm not worried about the general public. I'm talking about God's children out there. And they're not only out there in, among old Baptists. They're out there among every denomination and nation out there. You see? It's time to speak truth. In all of its forms. One of the functions of the cornerstone. When they would hollow out a cornerstone. They would put important documents as a repository for safekeeping in the cornerstones. I tell you, child of God, Christ Jesus Himself is the document. (laughs) He is the capital W Word. Christ is the document. He is the repository of truth. Your cornerstone was hollowed out in a sense and a blood sacrifice was made I tell you, and He passed that test. He is the established forever and ever cornerstone. Nobody can take that away. No one can ascend to heaven. He said that. Who shall ascend to heaven? Who shall descend into the depths? He said, I will do that because I'm the cornerstone. (laughs) And I've said this before, you know, take the desert island test. You take the desert island test. What's the desert island test? I probably hadn't mentioned it in a while. need to mention it. If you had amnesia and were stuck on a desert island, hopefully you'd have food and water. I'm, that's sort of a side note. But, and the only thing that you had was a King James Bible. Take the desert island test. You got amnesia, and the only thing you have on the desert island is a King James Bible, the translation of God's Word into English. How are you going to worship? What kind of mode of worship do you think you're going to come up with if you just begin reading the Word of God and you see where after they had communion, they sung a hymn? 
And you see all the psalms that are in there that were sung from the hearts of God's children. And you see the Apostle Paul saying, singing to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How are you going to worship? You read about the, in the book of Acts, you read where the Apostle Paul went teaching publicly and from house to house. I'm available anytime you want to go house to house with me. I'm, I'm available to come into any of your homes and preach and teach anytime. You see where Paul went publicly and from house to house. And you see where it says that he taught them everything that he possibly could teach them that God had told them to teach them. Well, what did he teach them? You read the book of Ephesians where we started and we're fixing to finish. He taught them everything. He didn't leave anything out. If you take the desert island test and pretend that you have amnesia and just a King James Bible on that desert island, you're, you most likely are going to come out and try to find you a primitive Baptist church. Amen. Where we sing... We preach, we pray, and we fellowship. Now that is the foundation upon which Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, laid the building of His church. He also said many other things that we hope to go into. Not only what He did, but what He said. If He said it, we need to believe it. If He did it, we need to follow it. Now, obviously, there's a time when he said, you can't follow me to the cross. That's the thing he had to do himself. But we can go and we can stand at the base of the cross by faith and look with the eye of faith and see the Son of God suffering shame and contempt at the hands of men and crying out, it is finished to his Father whenever the wrath of God was sufficiently paid for. And we can look at that by the eye of faith and say, praise God, he went there. So I don't have to go there. You see, anything that Jesus said... We need to preach it. Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John the 6th chapter. Many of his disciples walked away from him when he taught that. Oh, child of grace, don't walk away from Christ. Don't walk away from the cornerstone. Don't go away from the one source of strength that we really have. The one that was founded upon the blood sacrifice. Come to the cornerstone. Gaze upon its glory. <laughs> You know, in the Old Testament, it says, Seek ye the old past, wherein is the good way. You might have to dig a little bit. You might have to push back the entertainment. And you might have to push back all of the things that are going on out there today. You might have to push back Hollywood. You might have to push back politics. You might have to dig past the religious world. You might have to just keep digging and digging and digging until you find that. <laughs> it's going to be the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's going to be the same. Many of you have been up to the old house on the farm where we've had many fellowships and had a great time up there. And a lot of people don't know this, although the ones that have been on the tour with Mom that have paid their $49.99 and went on the tour with Mom, they know it, I'm sure. But the front of that house, the front of that house faces the field that is now behind that house. Okay, that was the front. So the old road there on McCool Road, um, Dewey McCool Road, the way it used to run is it would turn right there at the barn like you're going up the driveway to the old house. And you can see the old roadbed as it goes on past the old house, what used to be the front, where the steps are, not the deck in the back. Some of y'all are thinking, make sure you got it right. So the old roadbed goes on out there into the next field and curves way around. The, it was just the curviest old snake-like road you've ever seen. And there were two big oak trees that sit, one's still there, two big oak trees that sit out there and a mailbox and a little walkway where old elder uh, J.W. McCool used to go and get his mail every day. Sometimes he'd, he'd have a, uh, spend a little too long out there at the mailbox visiting and talking about sal uh, salvation by grace with Brother Furman's brother, Brother, brother C.O., who was the mail carrier. <laughs> Good stories to pass on to the next generation. But here's the point. 
the road used to be in the front of that house. The county came along and moved the road. And now you think, well, I wonder why they built that house backwards. They didn't build the house backwards. They moved the road. So what in the world does it have to do? It has everything to do with what I'm telling you today. It doesn't matter where the road moves. It doesn't matter where the paths of men change, the way worship is done, the way teaching of the Word of God is done. It doesn't matter where the road is moved to. There's the foundation that's always there. And it's the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And child of God, you can find it. I don't care where you come from. I don't care where you're headed. You can find it, but you've got to dig for it. You've got to dig for it. Now, I'm not suggesting that you give yourself amnesia. But it is worth thinking about. If you took that desert island test, what would I come out doing? I'm going to tell you, you'd do it the way they did it when Christ was here. You'd sing hymns to the glory of God. You'd, you'd listen to preaching to the glory of God that comes from the Word of God. And you'd hear prayers for the glory of God focused on the will of God. And you'd fellowship with the saints of God. It's so simple. Dig down and see that foundation. And when you find it, build your house on it. And I'm going to tell you, if you're here today and you've never made that public profession, you're in the right place. You're seeing the right things. You're hearing the truths of God. And we pray and trust and beg God, Lord, let us stand on that cornerstone. Let us remain on it because there's no other foundation that can be laid other than the cornerstone Christ Jesus. I love every one of you. And I'm so thankful to worship in a place where I believe that it's still based on the cornerstone. Let's look to that cornerstone, Christ Jesus. If there's one or more here that would like to make that profession and follow the Lord, we give it opportunity as we stand and sing.